In a wild and unfrequented spot near Cod, some countrymen came one day upon the corpse of a boy of 15, horribly mutilated and besplattered with blood. As the men approached, two wolves which had been rending the body bounded away into the thicket. The men gave chase immediately. When suddenly they crouched among the bushes, they found a man half naked with long hair and beard, and with his hands dyed in blood. His nails were long as claws and were clotted with fresh gore and shreds of human flesh. The wretched man, whose name was Relay of his own accord, stated that he had fallen upon the lad and had killed him by smothering him, and they had been prevented from devouring the body completely by the arrival of the man on the spot. Roulet proved on investigation to be a beggar from house to house in the most abject state of poverty. His companions in mendicity were his brother Jean and his cousin Julian. He had been given lodging out of charity in a neighboring village, but before his apprehension, he had been absent for eight days. Before the judges, Roulet acknowledged that he was able to transform himself into a wolf by the means of a salve which his parents had given him. When questioned about the two wolves which had been seen leaving the corpse, he said that he knew perfectly well who they were, for they were his companions John and Julian. He was shown the clothes he had worn on the day of his seizure, and we recognized them immediately. He described the boys who had murdered, gave the date correctly, indicated the precise spot where the deed had been done, and recognized the father of the boy as the man who had first run up with the screams of the lad had been heard. In prison, Roulet behaved like an idiot. When seized, his belly was distended and hard. In prison, he drank one evening a whole pail full of water and from that moment on, refused to eat or drink. His parents, on inquiry, proved to be a respectable and pious people, and they proved that his brother John and his cousin Julian had been engaged at a distance on the day of Roulet's apprehension. What is your name and what is your estate? asked the judge. My name is Jacques Roulet, my age 35, I am poor and a mendicant. What are you accused of having done? Of being a thief, of having offended God, my parents gave me an ointment, I do not know its composition. When rubbed with this ointment, do you become a wolf? No, but for all that, I killed and ate the child of Cornier. I was a wolf. Were you dressed as a wolf? I was dressed as I am now. I had my hands and my face bloody because I had been eating the flesh of the said child. Do your hands and feet become paws of a wolf? Yes, yes they do. Does your head become like that of a wolf? Your mouth become larger? I do not know how my head was at the time. I used my teeth. My head was as it is today. I have wounded and eaten many other little children. I also have been to the Sabbath. The Lieutenant Criminel sentenced Relay to death. He, however, appealed to the Parliament at Paris, and this decided that as there was more folly in the poor idiot than malice and witchcraft, his sentence of death should be commuted to two years imprisonment in a madhouse, where he might be instructed in the knowledge of God, whom he had forgotten his utter poverty. So the death of a boy at the hands of a deranged killer who could transform from man to beast was reduced to nothing more than an unfortunate accident due to being lost in poverty without God's guiding light. I'm not, and I'm just. <laughs> and then I'm talking. <laughs> no, but wait, wait! I have something for him. Boom! Shut down. Now you're just fucking. <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The Weird History and Eerie Tales podcast. Concentrate on the news. That's what we do. Wow. <laughs> FY, there's nothing wrong with my. I had this coworker at FedEx. He'll literally walk up, up to my trailer and just say that.
it is what it is and just walks away. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with this guy? Is he old? It's old dude. Old okay, dude. There you go. Well, I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> so randomly, bro. I'm loading my trailer up. It's deep. And then I can just hear the fucking, it is what it is. I, I turn around, what the fuck? It's saying by the trailer, just doing this. And once, I was like, what the fuck? All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Weird History Eerie Tales Podcast. I am your host, Moses Soria. And with me, as always, to my left is my brother, Josh. Hey, what's up? And sitting directly in front of me is Achi. It's me. And today, we have our part two of our two-part werewolf series, where we're capping things off as we dive in, talking about werewolf attacks, uh, werewolves from around the world, and things like that. But I'm going to start things off giving you guys a short werewolf timeline throughout history. Or we're going to take our way, way back machine and go all the way back to 1550 B.C. So this is before Christ. And this... The first time, it, well, the oldest, one of the oldest mentions, and I mentioned it during episode one, was about King Lycian of Arcadia, who serves human flesh to the god Zeus and is transformed into a wolf as punishment. And that's where the term lycanthrope is derived from the story. Then from there, we go to 440 BC in the in histories of Herodotus, which is the traveler of Harlequinasis, writes of the Neri people who transform into wolves once a year. Then 40 years after that, the 400 BC, which is a victorious Olympic boxer by the name of Demarcus, who was also an Arcadian Aparsia, and is said to transform into that of a wolf after sacrifice of Lycian. And nine years after, he became a man again. And then one of the coolest ones, like earlier mentions, was about the Satyricon, which is by the Roman writer Petronius. And the Satyricon contains a detailed account of a soldier who is a werewolf. So the Satyricon is a collection of stories that follows the travels and tales of two friends, Encopius and Gita, but also contains the story of Nisiceris, a soldier that traveled to a distant city with an acquaintance. While on their way, they stop at a graveyard to, you know, relieve themselves. Why a graveyard? Yeah, I, I have like, no idea. How are you going to relieve yourself in a graveyard, bro? I have no idea. But to poor Nisiceris' horror, his companion then laughs wickedly, Makes a circle of urine around himself. What the fuck? Rips off his clothes, then transforms into a wolf, howls, and runs off towards the nearby town, leaving a very stunned Nisiris behind. Nisiris then goes over to the man's discarded clothes, only to discover that they have been turned to stone. Remember how I mentioned it in earlier stories uh-huh. in episode one? That's usually what happens. And it doesn't end, and it doesn't then it doesn't end there. Poor frightened Nisiris walks to town, so afraid that he attacks every shadow with his sword. This guy is jumpy as shit. So when he gets there, he is told by a woman that a horrifying wolf killed off a, killed off a handful of farm animals, but was then speared by the throat by a servant, putting an end to the wolf man. That was in the sixty, in the year sixty. And that was in the in the book, in the story of Satyricon. And then let's go. To 1970, which is a man named Banus, and he's believed to be able to turn himself into a wolf through the arts of necromancy. Wait, 1970? 1970. Oh, okay. 970. Okay. I was like, that's a big-ass fucking jump, dude. What's up with this timeline, bro? (laughs) It's 970. I mean, from the year 60 to the year, you know, for about 930 years, a lot of shit didn't crack. There was a lot of shit, you know, people were just trying to figure out how to stay alive and shit. 
So then let's go to the year 1020, which was the first use of the word werewolf recorded in English. Then you fast forward 100 years, and it was the death of Briochsliv. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Briochis Lavik, who was the most famous ruler of Polak, and he's believed by many to be a werewolf. Then we go to um, 1195, to, I mean, to the year 1182, which a Welsh historian, he encounters Irish werewolves who transformed during the Yuletide feast. The werewolves were reportedly, were reportedly natives of Austria, whose people had been cursed by St. Natales for their wickedness. And then this is a cool one. This happened in the year 11, uh, 1198. And it's a story. And this story is about a nobleman named Bisclavret. He would disappear into the forest for three days every week and never told anyone why. His wife begged and begged and what? begged for him to tell her where he went and what he did. He finally confessed to her that he was a werewolf and he went into the woods to hunt. Also, that he left his clothes at the edge of the forest. Well, why wouldn't that matter, you ask? Well, without his clothes, he couldn't turn back into a human form. So, this was a bad move, though, in telling his wife. For she was unfaithful and had a secret lover who was a local knight. So, with this newfound information, the wife and her lover followed him to the woods and after he removed his clothes and transformed into a wolf, they stole them, trapping him in a wolf form. So, when he didn't show up for so long, the two-timing wife lied and told everyone that he must have been killed in the woods. She then married her lover, and they took over her ex-husband's lands. A Damn. while, right? So, a while after, the king, who was... Bisclavret's friend and his group were hunting in the woods when they and then hunt when they and the hunting dogs cornered a wolf. The wolf was of course the trapped Bisclavret, who recognized his royal friend and ran up to the king and shocked everyone by kissing the king's feet. The as king, a wolf. As a wolf. Damn. The king then ordered away his dogs and took the kind wolf home as a pet. The wolf was so sweet and gentle that he became a quick favorite at the court. One day, Bisclavret's ex-wife's new husband, the piece-of-shit knight, came to court and the wolf attacked him. A wise man in court said this wasn't right and there had to be a reason why the old wolf attacked the knight. Shortly after, the king visited his ex-wife, taking along the wolf. The wife greeted the king sweetly, but then the wolf attacked her and bit off her nose. Hell yeah! This raised even more questions. So the king, wanting to get to the bottom of this, ordered the wife and the knight to be questioned about this. Okay, they were tortured into <laughs> confessing. The wife finally admitted to what they did and showed everyone Bisclavret's clothes. The clothes were then given to the wolf who transformed back into human form. Once again human, the king restored his friend, his lands, and exiled the cheating wife and the dishonorable knight. If that wasn't justice enough, from here on after, 
every time the lady and the knight had a kid, the children were born without noses as a sign that they were like pieces of shit. So the children got part of that karmic justice. Can we just talk about how everyone was chill about this wolf? It's just like, oh, this guy's freaking, he kissed the king's feet. I mean, it was the 1100s. He must be chill. Let's hang out with this guy. Right? You know what would be fucked up? If he would have turned back into a human and they're like, oh, shit, it's a werewolf. Burn him at the stakes. Right? <laughs> I would assume with that. Well, that fuck. would happen. Like, he turns back. I mean, like, oh, fuck. shit. But he was the king's friend. Damn. That's the homie. It's not about what you it's know. It's about who you know, boy. Right? Game of Thrones, bro. Okay. I'll see you. And then, so, so then let's fast forward about 400 years to the year 1541. And in Pavia, Italy, a farmer in the form of a wolf is said to have torn many men in the open country to pieces. After being captured, he assures his captors that the only difference between himself and a natural wolf was that in a true wolf, his hair grew outward, while in human form, it struck inward. In order to put this assertion to the proof, the magistrates cut off his arms and legs, and he died from his wounds. And then... Damn. That was in 1541. Now let's fast forward uh, 14 years to, the fi- to 1555. And Olas Magnus records a strange behavior of certain Baltic werewolves. So this bishop, Olaf, who signed his treatise, History of the Goths, Swedes, and Vandals, stated that the people living in Prussia, Lithuania, and Livonia often lost their livestock to bands of hungry wolves. But their losses caused by natural wolves were nothing compared to what the werewolves caused. So according to the bishop, large numbers of werewolves prowled the areas, attacking not only livestock, but humans as well. So the beasts infiltrated isolated farms, broke into people's homes, and ripped apart and devoured every fucking living thing they came in contact with. He also declared that the Livonian werewolves were initiated by draining a cup of specially prepared beer and repeating a special incantation. It was said that the werewolves' favorite meeting area was an old ruined castle near Corland, a place that no one ever wanted go near for fear of death. So even though this was the hangout area for werewolves, it wasn't always safe, not even for them. Because according to reports and rumors, the stronger werewolves would instantly kill the weaker ones themselves. What? But so many people at this time took Olaf's words to heart, even though he was also the one that came up with the ridiculous idea the Scandinavian devils came nightly to clean stables and feed animals. Also, he also came up with the idea that devils also worked in mines, but the residents ignored the devils amongst them for fear of having their heads twisted backwards. He also stated that most sea captains will call on the devil for help with navigating their ship. So apparently, these devils had the power to control the elements and could create safe sailing weather, but according to the bishop, ignoring these devils or making deals with them would cost you your eternal souls. And then we'll fast forward to 1573. Then my brother's, I'm going to skip that one because my brother's going to get into a little bit into, how do you pronounce his name? Gilles Garnier? It's uh, Gilles Garnier. This one happened in 1573. And I'm just going to 
say he's just a werewolf of Dole. And my brother's going to pick up Dull? that in a little. He's from Dole? In a little bit. Dole. Dole. So then in 1578, there was a man that went on trial. His name is Jacques Rollet. And he was found guilty of being a werewolf. And then he was staked. Then same thing in 1588 to 1588. 1589. There was uh, a few people that were burned at the stake for being werewolves. And then in 1598, the werewolf of Chalons, also known as the Demon Tailor, was arraigned in France on December 14 on murder charges. In that same year, the Gandelang family, a sister, brother, and two of the man's children were tied together in France. So during the spring of 1598, in the region of France, two children were out picking fruit. The brother climbed the tree to pick up some fruit up at top. While he was there, a tailless wolf came out and attacked his sister below. The boy jumped down and, using his knife, tried to defend the sister. The wolf, however, changed in front of him and became half man, half beast, and knocked the knife away from the boy and gave him a fatal blow below the neck. The girl screamed at the top of her lungs, and the nearby peasants heard and came running and managed to drive the wolf away. The boy was able to tell them some details about the wolf before he died. So, first arming themselves, the people of the town went on to search for this wolf creature. And while on their hunt, they found a girl named Perinette Gandelon. Perinette was covered in blood and scratches, and the mob tore her to shreds. What? They were out looking for a werewolf, and they found this little girl. She was... Blood! Scratches! So, the Gandelons... So they live nearby. Someone in the back is like, werewolf? Werewolf? Well, here's one of the things. The Gendelins, they live nearby, but they had already been suspected of witchcraft for some time. Uh, so, so they're just looking for a reason. So Perinette's brother, Pierre, was also, set, was also said to be a werewolf, and that and he would kill anyone that came across his path. So after being brutally tortured, Pierre admitted to being a werewolf, saying that Satan granted him his shape-shifting powers. Pierre's son, Georges, admitted to being a werewolf, too, also after being tortured. He said that they had a magical salve that they rubbed on their skin that transformed them. The two of them were obviously burned to death. Then the Grand Justice of the French you know, like region, Henry Bouquet, who was a lawyer who had spent his life studying witchcraft and demonology cases, he got involved. And he wrote a few books on witches, followers of Satan, and, you know, various other supernatural evils. He made it his life's work to destroy all those he believed to be tainted, executing over 600 supposed witches. So he used the Gandalin family as an example of what happens when people deal with Satan. He then set all his focus on werewolves, going through town after town in search of them. It got to the point that he was executing innocent children by forcing them to confess to being werewolves. So thanks to Henry Bouquet, the werewolf hysteria grew in France and even more supposed werewolves were needlessly executed. And to make matters worse, the clergy and the churches backed him up. So he just tortured people until they said they were werewolves. And they just, yeah. And then, Damn. and then you know, cases like that went on. This happened in. Say it. Say your werewolf, motherfucker. I'm a werewolf. Damn, I knew it. You dead. <laughs> but this happened in, you know, this happened in 1598, and then again in 1602 to 1623 to 1692, and then 
I stopped at 1865. And the reason I stopped at 1865 was because I was kind of You realized it was too fucking much. Not even that, but <laughs> because I stopped at 1865 because that's when the Book of Werewolves was written. And it was written by the Reverend Sabine Baron Gould. He's the author of the book that I used as a source for the first episode. So that was kind of cool. And and still, to this day, that book, The Book of Werewolves, is still considered one of the leading books on werewolf history. It's story time, you sexy listeners. That segue, though. Uh, I mean, it's not really a story, but it's more like detail of the cases. Make it sound but like a story. If you're driving, keep driving. If you're chilling, keep chilling. Gela Garnier was a man who lived on the outskirts of a small town called Dole in France. Garnier was a hermit. This explains why he lived secluded from society. Now, for those who don't know what a hermit is, a hermit is someone who lives in seclusion from society for religious reasons. Another fun fact, hermit is also known as a hummingbird. I didn't know that. Hey, Story out there. What? Yeah. A hummingbird. Oh, I was like, a hermit's known as a hummingbird? It's also a hummingbird. Oh, okay. Right? But but let me pause the story, bro. Are you okay? going to pause before you I got started? Let's see, see, check this out. Okay, I let me reiterate what I said about the definition of a hermit. I mean, I mean. Okay, so by definition, a hermit is someone who lives in seclusion from society for religious reasons. Key words, religious reasons. So this All guy right. ain't a hermit. So, so this is what kind of pisses me off, bro. Look, let's say... I'm the hermit, mm-hmm. right? I'll be mad as fuck because, one, I have the title of fucking hermit, okay? And, I two, it. I'm forced to live outside of a community due to religious reasons, right? So, the church pulls up on me and says, yo, Jesuit, right? You're a man of God. You're loyal to God. You praise the Lord. But I'm going to need your bum ass to stay outside uh, in the outskirts of the village. You can't say with us. And I'm like, why? And they're like, oh, because religious reasons. Now, what are these reasons? Right? You just said they're religious. <laughs> oh, wow. But it, it, is it, you kept it obvious. Is it, Keep going, it's gluttony. Is it lust? I mean, if a man wants to grab a titty, let the man grab a titty. Unless he plays for the other team, then let the man grab, you know, cradle some balls. Right? So I'll be mad as fuck if I was a hermit. We do not in this show consent. <laughs> we do not approve non-consensual touching. If a man wants to grab a titty, he has to get consent before I mean, he grabs a titty. You can't just go <laughs> grab. I mean, that's that. You know, that's probably why he got kicked. That's probably why he got kicked out of the fucking town. Nah. You're just grabbing. Hey, bro, you gotta ask. Okay? That would just fuck. <laughs> that, that was all. All right, keep going. Keep anyway, going. so in the 1570s, the no, trash no. ass hermit. Began to lose his shit and started causing havoc. Side note: grabbing titties, <laughs> grabbing titties. Oh, Well, this backfire fucking bad. Holy shit! No, keep going. Now I see the reason why he's got poor. Now, I mean, this was before. Look, this is why he he made havoc because he was forced to live in the outskirts for no apparent reason. Just those reasons of religious it. reasons, right? So, side note: although hermits are 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 set to live by themselves isolated from society but this guy somehow got married right and i have a theory about this wife which i will mention at the end of this story 
Anywho, children from the town began disappearing and were found mutilated. So the officials went out and started searching for what they believed was a werewolf that was causing these murders. So the hunt was on. A group of men from the town found their hermit hunched over a child's body. They thought the hunched over figure was a werewolf. So they captured Garnier and arrested him. He was then put to trial. Garnier confessed that a demon paid his ass a visit and gave him an ointment that would transform him into a wolf and help him hunt. But not for animals, but for the flesh of human. Garnier was a cannibalistic murderer convicted of being a werewolf. He took the lives of two girls and two boys. Garnier was found guilty of lycanthropy and witchcraft. He was sentenced to be burned at the stake alongside with his wife. What the wife do? Check this out. Hold on. I thought he right? was secluded. Exactly. But this was... is a weird part about it. Okay, okay. Right. This is a weird part, right? So Moses and Achi, I need your help on this to recall, right, the legend of Sonny Bean. You remember when Sonny was going through that shit and he's like, fuck you. I'm out of here. Fuck society. I'm out. Yeah. And somehow he found the wife. Through all that crisis. Correct. Okay? And then they went out, you know, they, they went outskirts of towns and they got to a point when they were in a state of starvation. Right? Mm -hmm. They didn't have any food. Now, who was the one who brought up the idea that human flesh? It was his wife. His wife. Right? So yeah. now going back to this story, out of the blue, right? A hermit, right? Living on his own somehow found the wife. So my theory is this wife, okay, one, there's not a lot of information about her at all, Yeah. right? I think she's a witch. So she's like, hey, there's this lonely-ass, trash-ass, gra titty-grabby motherfucker that I can make as a victim. And then the legend of werewolves, right? Certain werewolves were what? Created, right? Controlled and tamed by witches. Yeah. Right? So my theory is that she saw this lonely dude, went to his house. She's like, I'll put a spell on you, bitch. Made him into his, 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 uh, her own werewolf, whatever. And then when he got found and trialed, he tried to protect, right, his wife. Yeah. Right. By saying a demon, right? There's certain, uh, uh stories that say, uh, it was a ghost. Some say it's a demon, whatever. Yeah. That came visit his ass. But I'm assuming he was just trying to protect the witch. And there were cases of, of, of saying that he took limbs and human flesh of the kids back to, to, his, house. Back to his house to his wife. So the judges were like, nah, she ain't safe, bro. So they burned both of them. She looked like the a stage. witch? Did she smell like a witch? Now going back to this timeline, somewhere in between, during the 18th century, there's a, uh, a case of a werewolf man by the name of Manuel Blanco Romanzanta. And this person was born in Spain, 18th century. Manuel had a, a very strange upbringing that led him to eventually have issues with his mental wellness and sense of self. For whatever reason, his parents have dressed him up as a girl up until the age of six. Side note. Um, wasn't there a tradition here in the U.S.? Yeah, this was a common, like, it was a common thing for... People in the old 
in the olden days to dress up the little boys as little girls. Like, there's pictures of H.P. Lovecraft. There's a few presidents. I forgot what president it was. Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. He was dressed in, like, a little girl garb. You know, uh-huh. like, things like that. So, I mean, this thing, I guess, went way back, too. So, the 18th century over in Spain was also a thing. Imagine. Yeah, because I remember um, pink used to also be a manly color. Yeah. Yeah, pink started being, a, pink was a manly color. And then it just, for whatever reason, it just turned feminine. And then Cameron kind of brought it back in the in the late nineties with Dipset. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But go on. What episode? Oh, we're talking about werewolves, right? All right. <laughs> so back to this Manuel Blanco Romanzanta. His misfortunes did not end here, however, as they continued to follow him through adulthood. With the death of his wife, he was forced to make a living as a traveling salesman and barely able to make ends meet. Eventually, though, he was able to make a living for himself and was the mercy of debt collectors, though. And well, what did he do next, you might ask? Well, he did what any sane man would do, and he would just flee the country. Fled to Portugal to start a fresh life for himself as a guide who would navigate people through the mountain passes. This is where things got gruesome, however. People of the local town started noticing that travelers were guided through the mountains by Manuel began to vanish one by one. An investigation was made and found that Manuel was guilty of murdering five people, including a 12-year-old girl. Investigators found out that Manuel was murdering the travelers for their belongings, selling them off. Not only that, he would also use the fat of his victims and to turn them into soap. During the trial, Manuel started that he was affiliated with lycanthropy, and he believed that he was possibly the killer of these travelers, that he was killing them while he was in his wolf form. The judge then sentenced him to life in prison, and this went down as Spain's first official serial killer ever. Whoa, really? That was a mindfuck. That this Manuel Blanco in the 18th century was considered the first serial killer in Spain. of Spain. But yeah, it's just because someone thought that, you know, he does lycanthropy and that's how that's how he killed his victims and whatnot. But yeah, the story of Spain's first serial killer, a werewolf. That's nice. All right. So Achi kind of brought us to Europe. And was, you know, he was talking about what Spain, right? Yeah, it was Spain. Now I want to talk about the werewolf legends from around the world. So I want to pick up where Achi left off. First and foremost, I want to talk about Norway and Iceland. So despite being hundreds and thousands of miles apart, Norway and Iceland, they share a common mythology. This is known as the Norse mythology. This is because the Norse people, they colonized Iceland, you know, during the Viking Age. And at the time of the colonization, they left elements of Norse mythology in Icelandic literature. So Norse mythology is comprised of sagas. So when you're thinking of, a, of Norse mythology, you kind of you kind of have to separate it in chapters, but they don't call it chapters. They call it sagas. And when it comes to werewolfism, the Volsunga saga from the 13th century particularly stands out. This is because werewolf-related stories have a prominent pres- presence in this particular saga. So the most famous werewolf story in the Volsanga saga is the story of father father and son, Sigmund and Sin. 
While wandering in the woods, Sigmund and Sin, they came upon a hut where they found two spellbound wolf pelts. If put on, either pelt will turn a man into a wolf, will possess the power of, well, it will possess the power, the cunningness, and the valor of wolves. But the pelt can only be taken off every tenth day. So having put on the pelts, Sigmund and Sin turn into wolves and begin wandering about the forest together. Before they split up, though, they agree to howl to each other if either of them encounters seven men to fight at a time. Sin, the son, breaches this agreement and kills 11 men at once. Angered, Sigmund fatally injures his son. But before his son died, a raven, the messenger of Odin, brings a healing leaf to place on Sin's wound. After Sin is healed from his wound, he and his father take off the enchanted wolf pelts as the tenth day arrived. They burn the pelt to ashes and freed themselves from the curse of lycanthropy. That's one of the most that's one of the biggest stories that stands out from this saga of Norse mythology in Norway and Iceland. Mm. Now let's go to Mexico. So werewolves in Mexico are known as Nahual or Nahual. Both are pronounced Nahual in English. N-A-W-A-L. So they're pronounced Nahual. Even though Mexico was a colony of Spain for over 300 years, the werewolf legend prevalent in the country did not come within the European werewolf legend. The legend remains in its original form to this day. The belief in Mexican, so the belief in the Mexican werewolf or Nahualism varies from region to region. It is believed by some Meso, by some Mesoamerican Indians that the Nahual is a guardian spirit that resides in an animal such as deer, jaguars, eagles, bobcats, mountain lions, and so on and so forth. In other regions, in a more ominous version of Nahualism, it is believed that the powerful men can transform themselves into an animal to cause harm. A relationship exists between the latter belief in the word Nahual, which, which originated from the word Nahuali, which meant disguise. This refers to the sorcery by which magicians change their physical forms into that of an animal. In Ger- so, in, so now let's go to Germany. In the Grimm's fairy tales, it is not the little red riding hood that includes werewolves, werewolfism. Rather, it's another tale. And here's this story. So a soldier stated this story happened to his own grandfather. So his, his grandfather went into the forest to cut wood with a friend and a third man. But there was something strange about the third man, but the grandfather couldn't tell for sure what it was. After they had done their job and had become tired, the third man recommended they take a nap. Accordingly, the three men laid down on the ground and closed their eyes. The grandfather pretended to fall asleep, but actually kept his eyes slightly open. He was keen to find the reason behind the third man's strange behavior. The third man looked to see if the other two men were sleeping. When he was certain they were, he put on or took off, depending on the variation of this legend, a belt. And became a wolf. But he didn't resemble a natural wolf. He looked rather different. He quickly ran off to a nearby field. Where he 
where he ambushed a pregnant female horse and devoured it completely. The man came back, took off or put on his belt, and laid down again in human form near the others. So while returning to town, third man complained about having a stomach ache. As they entered the town gate, the grandfather whispered into the man's ears, when one devours a whole horse. But before he could finish the sentence, the third man interrupted. Had you said this to me in the forest, you would not have been able to say this to me now. Oh, fuck. The story, published in the second half of the 19th century, is one of the oldest and most popular werewolf legends in Germany. If you are caught in the act, in the in the put on, took off, befuddlement, then let me tell you that the confusion arose because the story is a mixture of more than two different accounts. The presence of werewolfism in some stories from the Grimm's fairy tales is not solely responsible for demonic lycanthropy. Because fairy tales aside, a documented gruesome execution of a real-life werewolf in Germany has existed for over 400 years. Peter Stump, or Stub Peter, also known as the Werewolf of Bedburg, was executed on October 31st, 1589, Halloween, on the charge of witchery, rape, murder, cannibalism, incest, and livestock mutilation. After he had been apprehended and fearing torturous execution, he confessed to all the crimes he had committed over a span of 25 years. Fuck! That's he, a lot. he further confessed that Satan had given him a girdle which could transform him into a wolf. When asked about this girdle, he said that he had hidden it in a valley before he was apprehended. When the magistrate sent people to retrieve it, they returned empty-handed and, report, and reported that no girdle could be found. So that's why this story kind of has the put on, put off, pelt, just because it's kind of mixture of a bunch of different legends put into one. But the one werewolf legend that I was most uh, intrigued. intrigued by was the South American legend of the werewolf, the Luison. Or El Lobison, or just Lobison. So, the Luison is a South American werewolf. The myth of the Luison mainly prevails in Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Uruguay. It was believed that the seventh son of a family of all boys would turn into a Luison on the night of a full moon especially if it fell on a Friday. The belief was especially strong in Argentina. So strong was this belief that the Argentine president, Juan Domingo Perón, decreed that all seven sons of a family must be baptized. So the origin of the Luzon legend is found in the Guarani mythology. The Guarani are the indigenous people of Paraguay whose mythology stated that there were seven monsters. Of the seven monsters, the last one, known as Luison, was horrendously deformed in appearance, 
but had no apparent resemblance with a wolf and came to be known as the god of death. So the Guarani are a group of culturally related indigenous people of South America. The original humans create... So in their legend, the original humans were created by Tupa and they were Rupave and Sipave, whose names mean father of the people and mother of the people. This pair had three sons and a large but unspecified number of daughters. The first of their sons was Tume Arandu, considered to be the wisest of men and the great prophet of the Guarani people. Second of their sons was the Marangatu, a benevolent and generous leader of his people and father of Kerana. A little more on her in a bit. The third son was Hapeusa, who was from birth considered a liar, a thief, and a trickster. Always doing things backwards to confuse people and take advantage of them, he eventually committed suicide. Drowning himself in the water, he was resurrected as a crab for being a piece of shit. Ha. And since then, all crabs are cursed to walk backwards, much as Hapeusa did. Cookie, cookie. So like I mentioned a little bit a little while ago, Kerana was the beautiful daughter of Marangatu, and she was captured by the spirit of evil called Tau. Together, the two had seven sons who were cursed of the high goddess Arasi. And all but one were born as hideous monsters. The seven are considered primary figures in the Guarani mythology. The seven sons of Tau and Kerani are, in the order of their births, one, Tehu Hagua, which is the god of caves and fruits. Then we have Imboitui, which is the god of water. Waterways and aquatic creatures. Then we have the Monai, god of the open fields. Then we have the Hasihatere, the only one of the seven sons not born a monster. Then we have Kurupi, which is the god of sexuality and fertility. Then we have the Aoao, god of hills and mountains. And lastly, we have the Luison, which is the god of death and all things related to it. So in the original version of the myth, the Luison was the seventh son and the last child of Tao and Kerana, and of course, got the shit end of the stick. He barely looked human and was to be extremely ugly, and some would say horrendous. So Lisuan had long, dirty hair that fell down to cover most of his disgusting body. He was pale and had <laughs> shitty skin and even shittier eyes. The constant stench of shit and blood and death and decay mixed in with his unfavorable appearance. The mere sight would instill, would instill terror in any unfortunate enough to encounter the Luison. So the Luison was to be the lord of the night and was associated with death. He was seen for the most part around cemeteries, burial grounds, and other spots that tied into the whole, you know, death aesthetic. And his only source of food was dead and rotting flesh. So it was said that if the Luzon passes through a person's leg, that person would then themselves turn into a Luzon. In some versions, Luzon was a lazy piece of shit. 
because he would only appear on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. It was said that the touch of his cold hands was a for sure 100% sign that Juan's days on the earth were numbered. But the whole legend of the Lison changed when settlers started settling in the area and bringing in their own myths and legends. And over time, the myth of the Lison slowly began to mix with these imported legends of werewolves to the point where the Luison began to lose many of its original aesthetics, like, for example, its association with death. In many areas, the Luison's description even changed to fit the werewolf myth of being half-man, half-dog creature instead of its indigenous origins of horror. Many modern tales tell that a Luison hunts only by the light of the moon, and is no longer just exclusively found in cemeteries and even began hunting living victims for food. Like the werewolf, the Luzon myth picked up the whole, if you get bit, you'll turn into, you know, that kind of myth. Mm. Yeah. And it also started transitioning from the original myth to a more werewolf-like creature because of it being the seventh son. The seventh son myth, especially in Paraguay, was thought to be curse to become a werewolf but wait there's more in 1962 Jergenberg Livonia dealt with an 80 year old man named Fies of Gottenbrunn Fies openly proclaimed that he was a werewolf and that he and other werewolves would travel to hell and do battle with the devil and his witches Fies said a man named Skitstan struck him struck him and broke his nose. Skitsan was a warlock who had stopped the crops from growing for the purpose of carrying grain onto hell. I'm going to pause the story again, bro. I'm going to pause this story. Because while searching research for this feast guy, all the stories, obviously they're paraphrased from each other, and they all said he openly proclaimed he was a werewolf in front of judges. I'm like, why the fuck would see in front of judges? And why the fuck would he say he's a werewolf in front of these judges? He did do the fuck right? he wants. He was trying to... He was, this was 1600, bro. He was That's a death. You know why? He was Satan, bro. No, you know why? Because he's an alpha. That's why. Oh. Dude, he's alpha. He's like, fuck it. He's like, yeah. fuck with me, bro. So it turns out he was brought into court as a witness in a case regarding a church robbery. The locals had claimed he was a werewolf but had little interest, uh, interest in such allegations, right? So the locals were like, this dude's a werewolf, but it's like, eh, dude's old, not really a werewolf. I don't so, fuck with alphas. So the church is like, I don't give a fuck what he is. <laughs> Where the fuck is my shit? <laughs> <laughs> so the judges were now intrigued with Feast. Feast said the warring of the werewolves and the witches occurred on three nights of the year, St. Lucia, Pentecost, and St. John. These were the days of seasonal changes. The judges were baffled to hear that the werewolves were actually fighting against the devil instead of being the agents of the devil, as all the stories you've been telling how it's always related to being yeah. you know, with the devil. Okay, Feast proclaimed that the soul of the werewolf would go to heaven as they were as they were known as the Hounds of, of God. God. How fucking awesome is that, bro? That's um, 
they use. Uh, do you guys ever? Did you guys ever watch? I, I'm pretty. I'm almost positive you haven't. Penny Dreadful, the show Penny Dreadful. Keep on wanting to watch it, but yeah. Yeah. So is it still Netflix? Yeah, it's on. I don't think it's, maybe it's on Netflix, but I have the three. Uh, it, I have it on DVD. It's three seasons. Are you bought them? Yeah, I bought them. And um, throughout each season deals with something completely different. Yeah. The first season deals with vampires. Second season deals with witches. And the third season kind of melds everything together. Oh, the second season deals with, yeah, with one of the main characters. You find out he's a werewolf. But the main arc is about witches. And the yeah. third one deals with the werewolf. And everything kind of comes together at the end. Where you find out that the main character, she, um, um, so in in the Penny Dreadful mythology, Dracula or the first vampire is the brother of Satan. So when they went to war, uh, God, you know, told you know he he beat the shit out of uh, Lucifer and sent Lucifer uh, um, out of heaven, and Lucifer landed in hell or he landed on the bottom of the earth. Well, his brother went with him, but his brother landed on Earth. So that's who the first vampire was. And in the vamp and in, in the third season, um, you find out how one of the main characters was turned into a werewolf, and he was turned into a werewolf because he was fighting he was during the American Indian Wars, and he was fighting for the Americans, killing Native Americans, and they were wiping them completely out. And then he turns out and then he ends up being bit by a Native American, or something happens, or he uh, something happens and he turns to the Native American side and then he becomes a werewolf and then he does a bunch of shit and in the third season that's when everything kind of comes together and he find and then you find out that he that all the legends of in the, in the Penny Dreadful thing were talking about how the werewolf is the hound of God it's not uh like and a subservient of the devil but is actually a creature of God yeah it's fucking amazing. That's one of my favorite shows of all time. How many episodes are per season? Like nine. It's short, dude. It's, sh- it's only three seasons. Isn't it, is it hour long? Yeah, it's yeah, hour long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shit, it better be. They're short. Dude, that episodes. show is um, it's easily a top three. Really? Of all time. What? Yeah, because it uh the the guy who created he brings in all the original monsters. You have Frankenstein. You have John uh, John Dorian. You have all these old Victorian horror stories put into this one world of Penny Dreadful. And the way he mixes vampires with witches, with the whole Jack the Ripper thing. What's the time era for that? The uh, Jack the Ripper era around the 1890s. Oh, shit. So it's like, it, it takes place in London, in Victorian London. Yeah. It's a fucking amazing show. And season two is a shit because it deals with witches. Uh-huh. And they use like, oh, it's amazing. Like, they turn into like legit, like they turn into like, revenants and all these creatures and they fly it's amazing and it only lasted three seasons because he he said he wrote only for three seasons but the ending was super rushed you could tell it was just rushed so it's just one of those you're like oh but it's the shit nonetheless but yeah they're in in that penny dreadful show they call the werewolf the hound of god that one yeah okay yeah i remember watching one of the frankenstein episodes oh frankenstein comes out like a job or some shit yeah, because it's um, the, it's three main, it's like four main characters. It's oh, I forgot the fuck the name of the main character, the lady, the werewolf, Victor Frankenstein, and an old um, Amer- like American who lives in London. So, one of the main characters is Victor Frankenstein, and he's trying to help them 
solve all their problems because he's like a super genius doctor, like an underground black doc, black market doctor. Mm. But no one knows that he created this monster, and it's the Frankenstein monster. So he's trying to, so he's trying to juggle both of these things. Where he's like, "Yeah, I'm trying to be a good guy," but at the end, but like when no one's watching, <coughs> I'm creating this monster on the side, and now this monster is trying to bribe me to make him a wife, and it's killing all these people. It's fucking amazing. It's fucking drama, bro. It's you know shit. I love drama. And then uh, it's your cup of tea. And then in Penny Dreadful, Frankenstein's monster, they play him exactly like Mary Shelley wrote him. He's like this old Victorian, like he talks, he's just emo. He's like, yeah, he is, but I'm he's like, emo he's like my favorite character in the whole fucking, like in the Penny whole Devil? fucking show. Really? Frankenstein's monster. He's the shit. The second season? He comes out from first to last. He's one of those, he's his uh, Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster story runs from the very first episode to the very last episode. So in between everything, you start Seeing a bunch of shit. It's fucking amazing. I'm I'm bummed that only after three seasons. We're not sponsored by the show. I know, not yet. <laughs> but the show keeps going on through comics. Oh, yeah. I have the first two trades. I haven't read them though. I'm fucking out. So yeah, but go on. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, the world doesn't want to be disappointed. That's why the Hound of God. Yes, Josh. He is done. Nah, I'm pretty sure he has more. I don't even want to say Moses. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he he's holding back, bro. He is. He's holding about bullshit. He's like, I'm not so, so they were known as hounds of God. They would help mankind by stopping the devil from taking the abundance of earth. After listening to the claims of thieves, the judges asked if he was a Lutheran. And he replied with, nah, I'm too old for that <laughs> shit. I mean, not in those words, but he was like, nah, I'm too old to practice and understand all of this. Thies was someone who practiced folk magic for members of the community. He was known for his healing and charms. The judges wanted him to see a parish priest to chastise. Is it chastise him? But he responded by saying he was a better man than any priest. Oh, Ooh. fucking A. I mean, I mean, bro, he went down the hell to fight the devil and the witches. Bro, he ain't no priest better than him, bro. So they sentenced these to 10 lashes for idolatry and superstitious beliefs. So they just whipped him? <laughs> they just whooped his ass. Yeah. And there's others, uh, other endings saying that he was banished, you know, exiled and shit. But that's pretty cool. It's the first time I heard anything about Hounds of God. Usually, um, where was our what? Agents of, of devil? Of well, the, they're used. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But only because of the whole, like, vampire, the whole Dracula. And this is only, like, a recent thing, too. Like, the reason we associate werewolves to the devil must have been, like, only in the last, like, 500 years or whatever. And that's because the whole vampires could turn into wolves, bats, and smoke kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So when you think of wolves, you start automatically. You automatically. So when you think of the vampire turning into a wolf, people automatically assume, oh, oh it's a werewolf. Kind of like the whole silver bullet thing, how that's yeah. only recent. Like, the whole werewolf being... You're only able to kill it with a, through, silver, with a silver bullet. Yeah. So we talked about a lot of werewolves from back in the day. Now let's talk about one that's recent. Notably known as North America's most famous werewolf, we're going to talk about a case that happened here in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, notably known as the Bray Road 
Beast. And the Brave Road Beast has had numerous sightings in Wisconsin ever since 1936. A man by the name of Mark Shackleman was driving on the Highway 18 when he noticed a large figure that was half dog, half man, and was digging. It seemed like it was digging an Indian burial ground. Not wanting to confront the, the creature, he simply just took off. Just booked it. Fuck this. Fuck this. I'm hey, out. Half dog, half man. Mm. The very next day, though, he decided to go back to where the creature was spotted. And to his surprise, the creature was still there. His description of the beast was that it had a long dog-like muzzle combined with an ape-like features about six feet tall up on its hind legs with three claws and it reeked of the smell of a corpse. When he approached the beast, it simply just growled and say and said one word. Oh. Gadara. Before the beast took off. And so I looked this word up and <laughs> Gadara And it's World War for suck dick. <laughs> Bell. It's it's fucking lichen for pussy. Pussy. Let me look it up real quick. Thought you looked it up already. I did. <laughs> it's has origins of Hebrew, but it's supposed. To, I think it's supposed to make, mean change of some sort, like transformation. Mm-hmm. You just fucking yelled out Gadara and just booked it. You just yelled out change and just left. Yep. You reek change. <laughs> okay, so now. Although there have been variations of the appearance of, you know, the said beast, they have many common attributes that were mentioned. For example, um, it was appearing to be two to four feet tall when it's on all fours and seven feet tall when it's on high legs. That's a fucking jump, bro. This, this fucking must be like crawling or some shit for it to only be two to four feet tall when it's on all fours, but seven feet when it's up on its hind legs. Well, four feet tall on its all fours is still fucking big. Are still crawling, bro. Our table's only like three and a half feet. All right. Point taken. But two feet, though. Yeah, he's probably like on his fucking... He's just <laughs> <laughs> he's like right... He's on his elbows. Dude, that's freaking soldier stance. And possibly somewhere between 400 to 700 pounds in weight. But- Very hairy with gray slash dark brown fur. And with the face of a wolf or a bear. And appearing to be almost humanoid. Most sightings, however, have been within... The 1990s, recent, this is recent, literally right around the corner, which with most sightings being that the beast was spotted from far away, or with no intention to follow you at all. We're all saying it's recent, but it was almost 30 years ago. When you think about it, I mean, recent. compared to the 15 fucking <laughs> 1600s, that's pretty fucking recent to me. <laughs> fucking a. 1989, a Russell guest reported that a it was. What? The name, the person, Russell oh. Guest, reported that he spotted the beast emerge from an overgrown bush area and saw it stand on its hind feet. Guest panicked, as I think we all would, and began to run away from the beast. But to his surprise, when he looked back, the creature never ran after him. There has have been also other reports of people spotting the creature eating something while holding it with its paws facing up. Almost like a regular human would pick up something heavy with both of its hands. But by far the most famous case of the Bray Road Bees happened to 18-year-old Dorstein Gibson on the night 
of October 31st of 1999. Dorstein was driving in southeastern Wisconsin, traveling along Bray Road near a town called Develine, when out of nowhere, her car ricocheted up in the air, believing that she had struck an animal. She immediately pulled over to find out what it was. The road wasn't very well lit, and so she had a hard time finding out what it is that launched her, cu- her car front end up in midair. As she walked further into the distance, she saw something racing toward her at full speed. This thing looked like a giant hairy creature that almost looks like a wolf but with a humanoid appearance. Before she looked for further details, she rushed back into her car and sped off. Believing that she was safe and sound, she laid it off of the speed for a bit. When suddenly, the beast had caught a ride with her. The beast latched on top of her, um, her trunk lid, and she steered violently to try to shake off the beast, and was successful with the aid of the water that was left on the trunk from rain that happened earlier during the night. Those werewolves just skidded off the fucking roof. Just trying to I mean, grab the, onto uh, the fucking trunk, but just freaking... Oh, it's a trunk, not the hood. The trunk, not oh, the okay. hood. Yeah, just grabbed onto it, but because the hood was slippery, couldn't grab a hold. Like, oh, just... fuck! When she picked up her friend to go trick-or-treating, after all this shit, she still wants to go trick-or-treating. She believed that she has seen the beast yet again on the side of the road, but this time only watching her from afar. When I was doing research for this episode and for the last one, one of the things that would come up a lot was the whole seventh son thing. And, and have you guys heard of this whole seventh son of the seventh son, like myth and like legend? Came up in one of our quizzes. It actually did, and I mentioned it in one of, the, and I mentioned it a little earlier yeah. about Tulisan how he was the seventh son of a seventh son, and how the Argentinian president really believes in the whole legend of the seventh son of the seventh son. So the number seven seems to be. A kind of important magical number in a lot of cultures. And it's often said to have like these mystical attributes. In the Abrahamic faiths, for instance, it is believed that God created the world in seven days. While in Greek mythology, the Pleiades were seven sisters who were the companions of the goddess Artemis. Other groups of seven include the seven wonders of the world, the seven sages of Greece, and the Sichi Fukujin, which are the seven gods of fortune of Japanese mythology. In folklore, seven also has a special role in the order of birth. Like in European folklore, for example, the seventh son of a seventh son is said to have special powers. But he must be the seventh son born into a sexist litter of all boys. It has to be an all-boy thing. You can only be the seventh son of a seventh son, if your six brothers before you were all boys. If there's a girl in the... In does the, it count? It, it's muted. It's, it does not count. So there could be no girls. This shit was run like Al Bundy's Woman Haters Club. No girls allowed in order for this shit to happen. The He-Man Woman Haters Club. So this little bastard was said to be gifted with the power to heal diseases. That was one of the perks of you being the seventh son of a seventh son. And believe it or not, some doctors 
back in the old days of the whole werewolf myths and legends, claimed that they were such good doctors because they themselves were the seventh son of a seventh son. So that was like a good, that was a thing you would brag about. Like, oh yeah, I'm the seventh son of a seventh son. Oh shit! That's why I'm able to charge you two goats to heal your foot instead of the regular four chickens. Wait, that sounds like a ripoff. <laughs> In Ireland, the, fuck? the seventh son was granted the power to tell the future in addition to be able to heal. But not all the special abilities of the seventh son of the seventh son were so kind. Like I mentioned previously, some of the seventh sons are prone to fall victims to curses. The Louis Thorne, for example, after some gentrification, was believed that on the night of a full moon, especially if it fell on a Friday, the seventh son and a family of all boys, after he reaches the age of 13, would transform into the Luison. Like the European werewolf, the Luison would terrorize the night by hunting and killing, and it spread its curse through its bite. The fear of El Luison was so real that it is said that in the past, Argentinians would murder their seventh sons to prevent the curse. So in 1907, in an attempt to put an end to this practice, and I mentioned it a little earlier, the Argentinian president began adopting seventh sons. According to him, this would make people stop believing in the legend. And in 2014, Yair Tawil, a seventh son, became the godson of Argentina's president, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner. So the myth of the seventh son of a seventh son is still alive today and has been used variously in films, literature, and music. And in an age when superstition is frowned upon by many, our fascination with the number seven and the folklore regarding the seventh son of a seventh son still continues and will probably persist into the future. So now, talked about a lot of werewolf cases. Werewolf timelines, myth, mythology, all in regards to the werewolf. So now, let's say a werewolf jumps in the fucking studio. What the fuck do you do? I'm punching its dick. You'd be dead because you nah, already died. I'm the alpha, bro. You died. Super strength, bro. You dead. It all depends. Where is it coming in through? Okay. What okay. door? Okay. It's a werewolf, okay? It's stronger yeah, than to the fu- fucking fucking stronger than a zombie, all right? It's fucking it's gonna go through this fucking garage right here. Just plow through the fucking door. I'm gonna grab the nearest weapon. I already know where where this is going. I'm gonna grab the nearest weapon and off myself. Because I ain't getting away. My fat ass ain't going oh ain't getting away. So we're gonna use Josh's bait. See, I, I knew this is where it was heading. I was But if you're lucky enough and you did your research and you know exactly what are the things to kill a werewolf, then you're good. But if you don't, let me give you the tips and tricks. Yeah, let me get the tips and tricks. I'm trying to survive. I'm, try- <laughs> I'm not trying to die before Red Dead Redemption 2 comes out. That's just looking amazing. Go on. I ain't oh, trying to die like, before What the <laughs> fuck is Red Dead Redemption 2? 
No I'll, game. I'll Google, I'll Google it later. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Just buy Xbox One and then buy the game. <laughs> not even do. Not, not, I don't only have to just get a game, but also get to get a new console too. You need a new console. Uh, I'm good with the 360. No, no, he said 360. 360. Oh, Bro, pisses me God. off when I see him online. I'm like, <laughs> I have a 360 friend still. Fuck. But you guys had 360. You guys had 360. Keyword had. I had an Xbox though. You did. You <laughs> sucking bitch. Bro, most of the most of the people Bro. in my legends ha- have. Had the 360. Let that werewolf come in and kill me, bro. <laughs> Fuck. I don't want to deal with that bullshit. Okay, so by far the most. I'm going to start with the most effective one. Getting Xbox One. <laughs> nah? That's how you okay. kill werewolves? Shit, my bad. Xbox carry on, carry one? on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I would love to see yeah. that shit. Yep. Go. It's a silver Xbox Go. One. <laughs> silver. Bash his head with it. Glad you mentioned that because the most effective way is actually a silver bullet. Okay. Silver bullet are, is definitely the best bet when it comes to putting down this beast when in immediate danger one good strike to the heart would immediately stop any werewolf from its tracks what if you don't have a silver bullet but a silver I, I, I object have, i don't have a silver bullet it is it's it'll actually still work if you're somehow still alive being within close proximity where the werewolf and you have a silver knife or some sort of shrapnel at hand that that sure would work as well bro i'm a fuck up a werewolf I'm Mexican, so I have silver fi- fillings on my back. <laughs> you gonna bite it? I'm gonna bite the <laughs> shit out of this motherfucker. Ideally, you would want to aim for his heart. So if you could bite hard enough to aim for his heart, good luck, he's bro. gonna bite his dick. I'll huh? bite, he's gonna, he's I'll bite his dick. I'll bite his titty. I'll bite a titty. A titty. <laughs> Bullshit. You gonna bite his dick? Oh, carry on, bro. Okay, because that will kill it indefinitely. But if you haven't had much time in the shooting range, then as long as tiny spe- specks of silver enter their bloodstream eventually it'll reach its heart and ultimately kill the werewolf keyword eventually, eventually. <laughs> how long that will take nobody will know so now let's say you don't have silver bullets but you have a gun non-silver bullets now let's say that you weren't prepared to fight a werewolf on this lovely Friday evening of ours, and you saw no need in having a stack of silver bullets ready from a werewolf invasion. Well, sorry to say, buddy, you dead. As mentioned from the previous episodes, werewolves are notorious for having tough fur and, importantly, are able to rapidly heal themselves. You will find yourself wasting your entire arsenal of ammo on this one werewolf that you might not even slow down. The only gun that can probably even put a dent on their health bar would be a sniper shot to the head doing so might be able to severe the connection between the spinal cord and its head and might at the very least slow down the monster fuck imagine a fucking werewolf running at you with like only half its brain (laughs) try no scope real quick 360 no scope Fuck out of here, bro. <laughs> Fuck, I was playing last night, Call of Duty World War II. Fucking A, dude, this dude was just wrecking. You You got to have so much confidence to be running around, okay? Running gun with a fucking sniper just quick scoping motherfuckers point blank against someone who's using full auto, semi-auto, or shotgun. Dude, this dude was fucking, dude, I was getting wrecked, bro. I was getting wrecked. That's pissing me off. Anyhow, carry on, bro. It's a werewolf for you. All right, bro. So now. He was probably in Epsilon. That's why. Oh, there you go. 
There you go. I have my little. If y'all don't remember, give me this chart, motherfucker. I'm gonna throw this shit out, man. Got a little chart right here. If you remember what we're talking about, go back to episode one. You'll plebeian. Are welcome. Okay, so now the next type of thing that could possibly kill off a werewolf: sharp objects. While werewolves do have the ability to survive from battle wounds, they are unable to regenerate amputated limbs or the head. So awesome. We would kill a werewolf, right? Wrong. So wrong. Very wrong. Again, distance is your friend. And unless you're able to launch an axe from a few hundred feet and be strong enough and accurate enough to slice a limb clean, then it's going to be a tough task to complete. With my axe? I don't have an axe somewhere around here. Shut With up. this, strategize on how to kill the werewolf from a distance. Maybe learn the werewolf into a factory full of guillotines. Pick your poison and proceed with caution with this one. Now, you have sharp objects. What about blunt objects? Now, you, I know you're going to get the werewolf high as fuck with your blunt. That's that type of blood, bruh. Blunt after okay. blunt. <laughs> fuck that song. Now, I know what you're all thinking. Unless you're freaking Moses over here. Dude, there's no fucking way that something like a baseball bat or even a crowbar can take down a four to seven hundred pound beast. Are you fucking serious? Come on, dude. Well, let, let, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Tell me, bro. Tell me. Tell me, bro. Of course you're not going to fucking kill a werewolf like that, Damn. stupid. Shit. I'll pay you a million dollars, Josh, if you're able to take out a werewolf single-handedly. I'm not saying you can. Baseball bat. What the fuck? Why, why are you attacking me, bitch? Let me see the million dollars first. <laughs> I'm trying to see the million dollars first. So, I'll give you a higher advantage. I'll even give you a fucking metal baseball bat. There you go. You know what? Just fucking put spikes in that shit. They, what do you I just shove it up its ass, bro. Fucking. All right. All right, guys. As far as objects, I want you guys to think big. I want you to think wheels. The bigger, the faster the, the object, the better. Going full force on a werewolf with a semi going top speed might be able to do the trick. Heck, even thinking Deanna Jones, freaking giant boulder coming down like in the fucking show, might also work as well. The bigger is definitely better in this case. So, note to self, just get silver bullets. Just, you know. I'm going to go on go, Amazon right now. Get silver bullets. Just get silver bullets. Go to the shooting range. Practice a little bit. Because that is definitely your best bet. So basically, you spent approximately like five to ten minutes telling me that nothing I could do is going to work unless I have silver bullets. Correct. Where can I get silver bullets? You say yourself, bro. I'm going to Amazon. Best warehouse in the world. Wow, they do sell, they do sell silver bullets. <laughs> One ounce silver bullet, a forty-five caliber ACP. $33 a bullet. God damn. This is expensive. Oh, you get. Oh, it's prime. You get free delivery by Monday. Stupid. This was a fun ass two series episode. I liked looking into this whole werewolf thing. It's the last how you'll hear from me, guys. Good. And cool. like cool. I mentioned in this cool. episode, one of the books that I use that it's fucking it's a interesting read. But it's kind of a hard read because it's a literal translation of a book. 
and it's one of the books I used for episode one, and I kind of sprinkled it in this episode's notes. And the book is called The Book of Werewolves, and it's called Being an Account of a Terrible Superstition. And this book was printed and written in 1865 by an author called Sabine Daring Gould. And this book is a original, I mean original, it's a direct translation, so it's kind of in that weird, broken English. But it's a fucking amazing read. It talks about different cases. It talks about how, like, that's why I pulled the the notes for the for the sermons in the last episode. How about how this guy would go around? How those priests that would go around kind of contradict themselves. Yeah. It's a dope ass book. It's kind of a hard read because there, there are some things where like they use old yeah just translation things yeah. like that. But it's and I actually had bought two books. Remember I was telling you guys about <laughs> it's the two same werewolf books, thing. and it's the same fucking book, just different edition, just a different publisher. So I was like, God damn it! Well, this one looks dope. Yeah, the know, one like I'm holding front, is a little one, and it's the uh, front cover looks sick. Yeah, and it's I mean, it's a short read. It's only 174 pages. It's not one of those things where you could read cover to cover, mm-hmm. but if you want to bounce around, like, oh, I'll, let me read about werewolf attacks in the fucking 1300. It's cool. Yeah. You just go around and you just look through it and you just read it, yeah. and it's you know, it's a cool, interesting book. And then also some of my re- some of my sources for this you know for this episode I used ancientorigins.com. I uh, there's a website a website called werewolves.com. That's one where I put my timeline from. What are what's about? It's all about werewolves. <laughs> it's all about werewolves, dude. I I fucking got, a, you I got say I got fucking dude, shit. Dude, that that website is the shit because they fuck they have <laughs> it's all about werewolves and they have written articles about all sorts. Let of me guess, werewolves related to werewolves, dude. I I was doing. I got lost in that website for like an hour and a half last night. I was just reading, going through articles. I was like, "Holy Hold shit!" There was so much that Hold I wanted on. to use for this episode, but now I want to keep it. I just want to use the timeline thing. So shout out to them. Sure. Okay, so Ancient Origins. That's one of my favorite websites of all time. I just randomly go on that website. Like it's favorited on my phone. Like when I'm bored, ancientorigins.com. And you can read a bunch of interesting, fascinating shit. And that's where I pull some of my most of my resources from, ancientorigins.com. And for this episode and the previous or just this episode, werewolves.com. Do you guys have anything else to add before <laughs> you fucking nerd? We finish this episode. You wanna talk about the next episode? Should we give them a preview? Yeah, go out you. Go ahead and give them a preview of what we're gonna talk about for episode thirty. Oh, we made it to thirty? Fucking Ooh. episode thirty. So hey, that's it, bro. That's a preview, bro. Episode thirty. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's my plugin. Yeah, that's it. She... All right, say it, bro. Well, you know, guys, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know about. Concerns where we love to browse through the internet, going to our social media pages. You know, just browsing around. But we're gonna go ahead and dig a little deeper, a little darker guys might even not make it alive after posting of this episode but we're doing it for y'all we're going in the fucking dark web guys so episode 30 we're gonna be talking about the dark web tune into that one that one uh i'm almost positive we're gonna be put on some certain lists for 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 all our searches but it's gonna be a fun read but if you guys don't have anything else to add as always we are the weird history Airy Tales Podcast.